0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister. I have a master's in theology. But the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try and apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I have a mutual friend in common with that we've not officially met, but I'm very excited to talk to. He's an Elizabeth Luce Moore postdoctoral fellow in religion at Wellesley College. It's Eric Gerard.
1: Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm really excited to have you. You have a very fancy title at a very fancy college, so you're very (laughs) official. (laughs)
1: Well, I keep joking that I find myself at institutions that I would have never gotten into as an undergrad. So I am very lucky to be where I am. And uh, it's not lost on me how fancy I look, but I swear I'm not this fancy.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. You do you do look very fancy um, on paper. So um, (laughs) I would love to learn a little bit more about you. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: sure um well i am at wellesley now i teach uh primarily bible um my specialty my speciality is in uh, hebrew bible or the old testament Um, but i teach also new testament and um, the history of reception of both the hebrew bible and the new testament um, in early judaism and christianity up till pop culture Um, i have my doctorate in hebrew bible from another very fancy school harvard university I defended my dissertation last spring, so it is new to me, and my wife still laughs when people call me doctor, um, <laughs> and before that, I was at Emory University at the Candler School of Theology in uh, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I got my MTS in history, scripture, and tradition. And before that, I was at VCU, so hometown heroes.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, you weren't kidding. Like that list of schools is super intimidating and impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned you're very fancy. And um, it's funny. Our I should say our mutual friend Missy. I'm just going to give a shout out just to make her maybe listen to this episode. But she's been saying for years that we need to get connected because we we both do the theology thing. So I'm glad to finally be connecting with you.
1: Well we share a great te- a great taste in hairstylists stylists and uh, intellectuals <laughs> so I'm sure we'd have lots to talk about under any circumstance
0: I love and I love that she even though we have these weird interests like theology very you know specific interest uh, she still tolerates us and, and even loves us I think exactly <laughs> she's so good to us so Eric, I'm really excited because you're very fancy and have all those things. Um, and we share this, this common friend and this common interest in theology. Um, and you're going to be sharing a little bit a, a, a passage that is pretty common to most, I think, Christians, um, but you're going to go very in depth with us today. So I'm excited. You've decided to read a passage from Mark's gospel and then connect it to Leviticus.
1: I have.
0: Um, So I'm excited to talk and ask you why and all that. So I'm going to have you read the Mark passage first. Sure. And then we'll talk about why you chose it and the connection to Leviticus. So whenever you're
1: ready. Sure. So I'm going to be reading from Mark 12, 28 through 34. And this is from the Common English Bible, which is a translation I really like. Um, One of my former professors, Brent Strawn, who is now at um, Duke Divinity School, was one of the editors for this translation. So it's excellent. I would commend it to your readers. Um, but it has for Mark 12, uh, verse 28. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel, listen, our God is the only is the one Lord and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, well said teacher, you have truthfully said that God is one and there is no other besides him. And to love God with all of the heart, a full understanding and of all of one's strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, he said to him, you aren't far from God's kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions.
0: Okay, so I have the New American translation of that passage, and that's the one that we usually use at Mass. But I love that's so cool that your friend helped to translate <laughs> that that what you just read. And I think the major difference is probably my um, translation's use of the word scribe, whereas yours has the the legal assistant or the legal experts. Right. So I, I look forward to talking to you about that. Just to give our listeners, most people are familiar. I think this, this passage is referred to as the greatest commandment, and I think most people are familiar with it as such. I talked about Mark's gospel a little bit. We did the passage with the woman with the hemorrhage from Mark's gospel mm-hmm. a while ago. And so when we did that episode, I just explained that you know Mark's gospel was probably most likely the first one written, and then Matthew and Luke kind of take from him. And Mark's very, to the point, he doesn't really you know mess around he he gets straight to the point jesus does everything kind of quickly and immediately and is very straightforward um so i love mark's gospel for that um but i'm i'm curious why did you pick this why did you pick this translation why this passage
1: um one of the things that's so interesting to me and that i'm so taken with this passage by and um is that when you ask people um you know what is the greatest commandment they will say usually just love your neighbor as yourself right yeah. so they skip over mm-hmm. the first part this Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and all your strength. They skip that, and they just go to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you were to ask someone on the street, where do you find love your neighbor as yourself? They would just say, in the Gospels, or in Mark, or, you know, it also appears in Luke and in Matthew. They don't really know where he's citing. And, of course, he's citing scripture. But where is that scripture? And so the one that I actually was really excited to talk about, of course, I'm a scholar of the Hebrew Bible, is Leviticus 19 which is what he's citing here. So I thought maybe we could, would you let me read more, even though I'm not yeah. super great at reading?
0: Oh, no, you did great. And um, you're gonna be reading from the same.
1: Yeah, same like, there's, translation, there's, there's, there's the common Cominist- English there's the Bible. Um, this one is Leviticus 19:13 through 18, just to give some context for what Jesus would have been citing here. So Leviticus 19, verse 13 starts out, you must not oppress your neighbor or rob them. Do not withhold a hired laborer's pay overnight. You must not insult a deaf person or put some obstacle in front of a blind person that would cause them to trip. Instead, fear your God, Fear your God. I am the Lord. You must not act unjustly in a legal case. Do not show favoritism to the poor or deference to the great. You must judge your fellow Israelites fairly. Do not go around slandering your people. Do not stand by while your neighbor's blood is shed. I am the Lord. You must not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your fellow Israelite strongly so you don't become responsible for his sin. You must not take revenge nor hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord.
0: Uh, So Leviticus, to give a little bit of background, because I have not talked about Leviticus or any passage from it, I actually myself really don't find myself going to Leviticus that often (laughs) when I teach the Torah. I mean, for many reasons, because right after this, you know, you get into the, the punishment, the penalties for these various sins, and it's not really pretty. But to give people background, so Leviticus is part of the Torah, the third book in the Bible. It was written during the time of Moses, and really is a whole book of laws, specifically pertaining to a lot of rituals, for the people at the time, specifically like the Levite priests at the time, and what they should do, should not do, and they're leaving Israel, so they're, or not leaving Israel, they're going towards Israel, and and just going to be starting their life after leaving Egypt, so I think these laws, you know, are trying to give the people some direction as they they get into Israel to form their own communities, Um, but in today's context, a lot of this stuff, is hard to, it's hard to understand. So I'm very glad that you picked it. And I love this passage specifically. So um, why don't you go ahead and, you know, jump in and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. And also, <laughs> um, you know, how does this connect then to the Mark, the Mark passage?
1: Yeah, um, well, I guess I would nuance a few things here, um, that this particular passage from Leviticus 19 comes from a particular part um, that is, debated by scholars whether it's its own thing but generally the material in leviticus 17 through 26 is called the holiness code because it is a great concern with holiness Um, and there's a debate among scholars about how it's related to the material that comes before it um, in genesis and exodus that is uh, a composite of many different sources one of those being related to um, The priestly source is what we call it as biblical scholars. I don't know if you've gotten into this Mm -hmm. at all.
0: Well, not with my listeners at all. I understand that, you know, within (laughs) what we're, I understand what you're talking about. Um, I teach middle schoolers all day, so I really don't (laughs) It's been a while since grad school that I've like delved into all of that, That, but yeah, I, I understand it. And if you want to explain it more, feel free.
1: Sure. So I think it's, uh, it's interesting. So your readers might be interested because they're excited about the Bible, that there are many different accounts of the same story in the Bible. So if you were to read Genesis 1 and 2 very carefully, you would see that one account is very orderly. Um, it has a seven-day creation or really a six-day creation with a day of rest. And then the other one is this story about Adam and Eve and as Bible scholars, um, there's a pretty persuasive argument that these come from two different hands and one of those, the very orderly one, is what we call the priestly um, source. and so there's some argument biblical scholar amongst biblical scholars because you know we're into these very interesting topics about whether the narrative portions of the pentateuch the first five books of the hebrew bible that are attributed Mm. to the priestly source are before or after the holiness code whether the holiness code comes first and you get all these laws and from these laws you create stories that sort of explain how these laws came to be or whether you have all these stories that predate the law, and then the law comes ar- along to uh, explain how the priests and the people of Israel should conduct themselves in relationship to temple worship, and so that's sort of the debate, the historical debate behind these two. Um, but uh, it it it's this- coming
0: back to me now a little bit now. Like, also was having to do with the words that are, I believe. Used for God, yes, right, right. like the, the Elohim versus Yahweh, exactly. the Yahwist. Okay, all right, see, I, I, I kind of know what I'm talking about <laughs> sometimes here, yeah, but there, I haven't talked about that stuff at all on here, and it's been a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: there are five, uh, excuse me, four sources um, in the Pentateuch yeah. in those first five books. One of them is the priestly source, which we just talked about, um, the other is the Deuteronomistic source, um, mm-hmm. which is primarily the book of Deuteronomy. And then mm-hmm. we also have some combination of what we call the Yahweh source, which uses the name mm-hmm. Yahweh, or what is translated mm-hmm. in your Bible as Lord um, for the deity. And then the other uses the word Elohim, which is just sort of a generic title, uh, or okay. generic name meaning God. And so that's how we sort of separate those sources. Super, super boring, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> all that is to say that the book of Leviticus really finds its context Um, in the temple and cultic worship of the Israelites once they're already in the land um, and have already established this temple. You need all these laws about how people are gonna comport themselves, how the king is gonna act, how the priests are gonna act, how the people are gonna act in relationship to the priests and the king. Um, And so then you get these laws related to that um, social activity.
0: Right. No, great. I'm glad you explained (laughs) it because you obviously explained it (laughs) way better than I did. But it's hard when I teach middle schoolers. I usually just skip right past this book. Though I will say, this is an aside, um, a student the other day, randomly she's like miss struckley do you know where the word scapegoat comes from and Mm -hmm. i'm like trying to like you know do my rolodex or whatever and i and i'm like and and i was like go ahead casey like tell me like where you know you find scapegoat in the bible and she's like it's in leviticus and i was like oh man you're so right you know and then it's that this idea that they would um put their sins like into this animal before they would sacrifice it right
1: well they Um, actually cast it out into the wilderness yep right okay and uh I was just watching, I was, I'm teaching a class in the spring on the Bible and pop culture. And one of the shows that we're going to dig into a little bit is a show called The Leftovers. And they actually perform this ritual uh, in the show where they like use uh, Mardi Gras beads and they put them onto this goat and then they sort of cast the goat off into the wilderness. So it's, an mm-hmm. interesting, uh, it's an interesting take on scapegoating. But yes, that's where that phrase comes from
0: she was so funny and I was I was like yeah no we definitely didn't we didn't cover that but I'm glad that you know that. <laughs> so okay so back to the priestly source Leviticus these rules rituals and its connection then to the gospel so
1: yeah and so I think one of the things that's interesting to me about this um, is that these two rules um, these two commandments that Jesus is saying are, are the the greatest commandments not just one but two which is sort of like keying you into the fact that um, he's given you a buy one, get one free deal. Like he's being asked for the greatest one. He's like, well, I'm going to give you two. And yeah. <laughs> one comes from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy six, the, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then the other one comes from Leviticus 19, which we just read. Um, the one from Deuteronomy is super interesting to me because it is not a commandment, right? Like you would think the answer you would get would be like, do not kill or "you know, keep the Sabbath or something. Like that's what we think of when we think of commandments and Jesus actually goes outside of those two commandments. <clears throat> and uh, the 10 commandments as we have them uh, are not actually 10, <laughs> which is another sort of challenging thing here. So like in the 10 commandments, which come immediately before what he's citing in Deuteronomy, these are sort of like a summary Deuteronomy 6 kind of summarizes you get these ten commandments in Deuteronomy 5 or some number of commandments in Deuteronomy 5 which mm-hmm. is the second place we get the ten Commandments we also get them in Exodus 20 and then to summarize those um, you get this command in Deuteronomy that which is called the Shema in um, Jewish tradition tradition this here o Israel the word here in Hebrew is Shema. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where it gets its title. It's said every single day in Jewish tradition. um, And that sort of summarizes or in in some ways encapsulates the tradition of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments can sort of be collapsed into this one. If you can get this one thing right, to love the Lord Mm -hmm. your God with all of your heart, with your full understanding, with all of your strength, then you can, all the other commandments sort of collapse into that one, which I think is a really interesting idea. Um, And then you get this tacked on thing from Jesus about Leviticus 19. And so one of the um, curious things in my mind is how do you get to 10 commandments? And do we really need all Mm -hmm. 10? And so Mm -hmm. Jesus seems to suggest maybe we don't, right? That we only need Mm -hmm. these two. Deuteronomy maybe suggests that we only need the one. And the way we number commandments is very tricky because... If you were to read the Ten Commandments, we actually get 15 different verbs and then this preamble that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, um, which is counted in some traditions as a commandment. But even now, we can't really agree um, between our own modern religious traditions about how we should number those. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. um,
0: I mean that's probably I've something that, that is
1: interesting for your for your seventh graders, I would
0: think. Yeah, so I, when I do talk about Deuteronomy a little bit, you know, I mentioned that it means like second law, and that the commandments are mentioned in Exodus and then also here. Um, and I'm looking at right now chapters five and six of Deuteronomy, um, and that is really interesting to me. And we have some people and students and staff at school who aren't necessarily Catholic but are Christian, and so when we do the Ten Commandments, they do kind of notice like, oh, hey. Your, your wording doesn't match up exactly with what I was taught yep. or that they, we separate the first commandment. And so I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more to that, because uh, that is interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, like if you were to think about trying to give your, your students or a young child a mnemonic device and have them number the commandments, it just gets really tricky because in the Catholic tradition... Mm-hmm the I am the Lord your God you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for, for yourself an idol those are all one commandment for Catholics but in the Anglican and the reformed tradition right. they don't count the I am the Lord your God stuff right those that's not a commandment and then you shall have no other mm-hmm. gods before me and you shall not make for yourself an idol those are two separate commandments but then in orthodox christian um, in the orthodox christian community and in the Jewish tradition in the Talmud those are three commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That's one commandment. And then you shall not make for yourself an idol is another commandment. And then do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's a third commandment. And so like there's there's this ambiguity about, okay, we have 10 commandments. We know that because Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 10, they all say 10 commandments, 10 commandments, 10 commandments. So what you have now is this commitment to the number ten, but no real way to figure out <laughs> well where, how do I number these? You know, so I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and then this idea that you could collapse them, right, as the Catholic tradition does: "I am the Lord your God; you shall have no other gods; you shall mm-hmm. not make for yourself an idol." We collapse those into a single commandment, and you see some of that impulse in Jesus's teaching that you could collapse everything potentially into this one in the book of Deuteronomy, or everything can is sort of covered in these two, or these are at least the two most important. I mean, it's interesting because it's also a contemporaneous practice too. Um, so like Romans 13, when Paul talks through sort of the list of vices, or um, he's collapsing, he does some collapsing. And it also shows up in the pseudepigraphical testaments of the patriarchs in Issachar and Dan, but also in the Bavli, that you get this idea that like, you can list one thing and it stands for a couple of others, which is a really interesting way to approach law. It's not really how we think about
0: laws. Right. And so I think when I do teach Old Testament to students and just people today in general, and this is my opinion, but we want like the the literal, you know, we want to take everything at face value. And I always try to tell them, like, you can't really do that. There's, there's If we do that, then we're going to get into this like legalistic, uh, it just would be kind of like what is right? You know, what is it? Is it this, this? And it's really, I think what Jesus does is like the point of this is, you know, we need to get the spirit of this. Like what is the point of all of this? Not necessarily what specifically, I don't know if you agree with that, but um, you know, like when we, when I teach a lot of the old Testament stuff, I just try to make sure that they understand the spirit of it and what. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I mean I think there's a really persuasive argument for what Jesus is trying to do here. So there's a um, mm-hmm. a professor of New Testament at Yale. Her name is Adela Collins, um, and her husband is John Collins, who teaches Hebrew Bible. So they're a power couple in Bible, and uh, she has this really interesting article that that what we see in the Gospels is um, this attempt to merge not just in this particular um, story we get about Jesus, but all over is this attempt to merge sort of Greek thinking with um, mm-hmm. traditional um, Israelite scripture and you know the Hebrew Bible, sort of like what what would come out of early Jewish interpretations of the Bible. And so there's mm-hmm. some of that, I think, in when we look at the contemporaneous texts that we have from that time, like the Testaments of the Patriarchs, they seem to be doing something sim- similar. So, like in the Testament of Issachar, you get, Keep therefore, my children, the law of God, and get singleness and walk in guilelessness, not playing the busybody with the business of your neighbor, right? Don't tell lies. <laughs> but love the Lord your God uh, and your neighbor. Have compassion on the poor and weak. Bow down and back unto husbandry. Like, it's a really interesting sort of like combination. You get a similar thing in the Bavli. And so, like, this idea that test that um that commandments can kind of collapse in on each other in order to sort of get us to a a a point that summarizes seems to be circulating at the time and i don't actually think that's that uncommon for us like when you ask people to visualize the ten commandments see in their head charlton heston holding two tablets (laughs) Um, and so like this idea that you would have two tables in the commandments is actually supported in the commandments themselves where you have kind of two different tables one dealing with how you should relate to god which is sort of like Mm -hmm. a vertical relationship it goes up and down from you to the deity in the sky and then another table about how you should relate to your neighbor so if you and i are sitting next to each other how i should relate across to you a horizontal relationship um and so like the idea that half of them roughly i am the lord your god you shall not have any idols blah 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 remember the sabbath and then you get these these commandments honor your mother and father you shall not kill you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear, bear false witness Um, Covet your neighbor's wife, covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Those are all about how you should relate to one another. And so I think what's interesting, too, about that collapsibility is that there are also arguments that the whole book of Deuteronomy is structured off of the Ten Commandments.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So you have, you know, the commandment to honor your mother and father, which is the fourth commandment or the fifth commandment for Catholic, uh, for Catholics, you get this huge block of material in Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 18, 22 that are all laws about people and authority. So judges, officials, kings. So this idea that your mother and father are not just your mother and father, but sort of the parents of the community and how you should relate to people and authority. And so like this idea that laws would collapse in on themselves, not just for expediency or priority, but as representatives of a whole, right? So if I can remember this one commandment to honor my mother and father, it will remind me that that same respect that I give to my parents, some version of that is due to every person in authority, to kings, to judges, to priests, to prophets. Um, and so it really structures the whole society. So it's not like I can honor my mother and father and be done with it, It's I can honor my mother and father, and that structures how I relate to every other person in my community. Which is a different way, I think, to think about it than I think how most people would assume um, Mark is working. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and I did not realize that the way that Deuteronomy is structured is is such, but that makes sense to me. And I think I, you know, a lot of these traditions and and passages were passed down orally, right? So this would help them to remember, I would think, to the way it's structured to help them remember all of the things that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah. Um, And it sort of like allows you to sort of potentially contextualize, right? Like, why Mm -hmm. should I respect the king? Or why should I respect a prophet or a priest? Well, these are sort of parents of the community and I'm commanded to um, honor my mother and father. There's lots of debate about what that means. I don't think we need to get into that. But if that's true, sure. if um, if if commandments work, if you can collapse commandments in on each other, so you have the example with the 10 commandments, this one commandment, table of commandments that deals with the, your, relation, your um, vertical relationship to God and this other commandment table that relates to how you should relate to the community. What's interesting is that the greatest commandments that we get from Jesus do that exact same thing right Mm -hmm. so Deuteronomy his quote of Deuteronomy 6 says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your might that looks very much like our vertical commandments in the Decalogue and then the other one we get is you shall love your neighbor as yourself which looks very much like the horizontal table from the Mm -hmm. Decalogue you know
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think my students get that when we do the 10 commandments, they understand that the first three, the way that the Catholics that we teach that are structured, you know, relate to that vertical that you're, you are mentioning. And then the other seven relate to the horizontal. And so it is really interesting that Jesus, as you mentioned, collapses those and, but still sticks to that structure. And, and that's why he's Jesus. And that's why he's, you know, <laughs> that's, well, that's teacher why. par excellence. Exactly. So part of the, that was all amazing and i know that we could talk you know so there's i just i love the old testament because it is there's so much more to it we can't just take it there's there's so many levels and layers to it and just unfortunately we don't we're not all privy to that which is part of the reason why i try to like do things like this so we can maybe all learn a little bit more and i certainly learned much today um but the other purpose of this podcast is to try to apply it to our world and so i should mention that right now while we're recording this there have been rioters at uh at that that capital so i've been kind of dealing with that all day and then when i sat down to read this my heart like i just was like we need to talk about you know i texted you it's like should we still record like and i just feel like i needed to read this and talk about this tonight so part of this podcast is to apply this stuff to our our modern world so how would you can you make these connections like what is this all saying and what does this mean for us today eric
1: well i think i mean one of the most important things for this um story we get about Jesus, which is important enough to record three separate times. Um, right. <laughs> is that um, one is this idea of collapsibility, right? That it's not like you get to throw out the things that are inconvenient to you. It's that these mm-hmm. two ideas, the way you relate to God and the way you relate to your fellow human beings are not Nothing. a way for you to get around all of the other laws that are inconvenient to you. They work as mnemonic devices for you to redirect your attention to all of the law. So on the one hand, I think that's an important takeaway. But in light of what's happening today, I think it is helpful for us to reorient how we think of our community because it's very easy for us to define our community's boundaries by those that we share relationships with when we can see them, when we can touch them, when we love them and care about them intimately those are the easy people to love right i would never you know we you would you would be hard-pressed to find someone who's going to kick out a relative or a best friend if they're in but that's not what this says and i don't mean to sort of draw this very wide net around neighbor that I think is sort of very tempting in a modern context to say that everyone is our neighbor. I don't know that that's Mm -hmm. true. And that's not necessarily what I'm trying to say. But the the circle around a neighborhood in this is not just who is convenient for us, right? That we have some responsibility to our community beyond those that are convenient for us to love, I would say.
0: Right. And I mean, Christ mentions that too, there, you know, the, that idea that, it's easy. I mean, he specifically says it's easy to love your, your family member, but love your enemy. Right. You know, that's, I think that's hard. <laughs> uh, and I don't, you know, there's no simplifying it. It's, it's difficult, um, but it's good for me to reflect on, especially today. And especially in this, this year that we've just had, um, it's been very divisive and, and stressful. What else would you like to say about these, these words or this passage? Is there anything else you'd like to say as we kind of wrap up?
1: Um I mean I think it's a matter of so we would think of maybe the opposite of a neighbor as a stranger or the opposite mm-hmm. of a mob as a protest and just to point out that depending on what side of that you're on they're exactly mm-hmm. the same right mm-hmm. so depending yeah. on what news channel you watch or you know <laughs> depending on what side of the fence you're on someone might look like a stranger or look like a neighbor, just depending on your own social location, and to sort of challenge oneself, why do I, I I think it's too much to ask to immediately start to embrace people who you might have defined as your enemy, or as a stranger in your community. Mm -hmm. But you could start with the question of why, like, why is this person a stranger to me? Why are they an enemy to me? Right. And maybe there are some valid reasons, you know, like, I, I would never encourage someone because I'm a proponent of mental health, <laughs> to continue to subject themselves yeah. to someone who does them great harm, but to start to interrogate one's own motivations and say, "Why isn't this person my neighbor? Why do I think of them as a stranger?" As an interesting starting point in how we redefine the boundaries around our neighborhoods,
0: I think that's so well said, and that's something that I've come back to. Um, we did the Good Samaritan a few weeks back, and so obviously that kind of is is related and just trying to find commonality. Um, I agree with you. And also we need to take care of our mental health and that's important. And we should be, if we need boundaries for a specific reason, but, um, also trying to find commonalities if we can, you know, I think it helps, um, make that stranger less strange. And we try to see what we have in common, not just what we have, um, in opposition. So that was really well said. Um, Eric, it's been so amazing to have you on and, um, I can't wait to tell Missy <laughs> that <laughs> that we had an awesome conversation and that you're so smart and so good at what you do. Um, at the end of the podcast, I like to uh, let people plug any projects or events they've got going on or social media that they'd like to, or websites. So is there anything you want to plug at the end?
1: Um, I don't. I would just say, love your neighbor as yourself. Can I can I plug Leviticus 19? Yes. Because uh, I, I would say maybe if I could take it one step further to love a stranger as your neighbor, maybe.
0: Ooh, I like that. Yes, amen. Well, thank you so much again. And for those of you who do have social media and want to follow, I have a, a social a Instagram for this podcast at Seven Mile Chats. You can also follow me on Twitter if you want to talk scripture or education with me at struckley one M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. And I'd be happy to talk scripture with anyone who wants to talk scripture with me. And thank you again, Eric.
1: I did think hair. of one place that we should plug, which is Parlor Salon in Richmond. Okay, if it. you need a haircut, yeah, <laughs> I've You're got right. somebody for you. You got to go see Missy at Parlor. Yes. This, this this podcast brought Missy. to you today by Parlor.
0: By <laughs> Missy, she really did. She really made it happen. So yes, awesome plug. Parlor Salon, Richmond, Virginia. Go see our girl, Missy. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, everyone.